0: Good. My name is Dan Song. I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to be together this morning. Uh, If you're visiting or if you've been with us for a while, uh, we've been in our We Believe series, which is the Apostles' Creed. And I think why it's been so important to go through that this fall is because in the midst of really even as we were reminded yesterday during our second Saturday that we live in a fractured society and culture. And what the Apostles' Creed does for us as followers of Jesus is that it unites us and reminds us that we are one family, right? That people from across the world of all different languages and races, this is what we hold to as followers of Jesus, but also clarifies what we believe. When there's so many different voices in our current climate, we say that this, is, this clarifies for us what we believe. And lastly, it tells us a story. It's a story of the, the true story of history, and that reminds us that, yes, this is, looks like propositions, right? That God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but really it's a story of how God created our world, of an antagonist that comes in, and how even in the midst of that, like there is an ending, a good ending, uh, a happily ever after ending uh, that cannot compare to any other story that our world offers. And this morning we're looking at this aspect of forgiveness of sins. And so if you have a Bible, I'm going to turn, ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to look at verse 21 through 35. So we're going to look at 21 through 35. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we do have Bibles for you underneath the chair in front of you. And there you could ch- turn to um, page 823, 823 of your of the church Bibles. And we're going to be looking at here this story that Jesus tells, and a a powerful one that explains why forgiveness is so important. So read along with me, starting in verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, that being Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, So also my Heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Lord, we come before you and we thank you for just your teachings, but more than just teachings, how your word transforms our lives, even in really difficult areas like forgiveness. So Lord, I pray that as we come and humble ourselves underneath your word to us, Lord, may it speak to us, challenge us, but ultimately transform us as individuals, but also as a collective body so that we might be marked as a community of people who forgive. Won't you do that? Good work we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Yesterday, we had our second Saturday, our Ace class of a panel that included myself and Tracy Noble, but also a special guest uh, Dr. John Inazu, who is the law professor at Washington University in St. Louis. And we came together because it was an important topic about in the midst of a fractured world, how we have a beautiful gospel story to share as storytellers, not only as individuals, but as people. Now, John, Dr. John Inazu shared a story. of uh, of which I want to share a little bit more about because he alluded to Emily Oster's story uh, article in The Atlantic that came out a couple of weeks ago, and she called it, Let's Declare a Pandemic Amnesty. I think we can all understand that or at least feel the tension and weightiness of that because recently it came out. Now, you might not agree Uh, which is fine, but one of the things that came out was, if we look back at the pandemic with all the uncertainties, right, we were basically faking it till you make it. With the research and the study that was provided, we had to make decisions as leaders of institutions, as government officials. And so there were right and wrong decisions, but one of them that most people or majority of people look back at is, we should have let our kids stay in school uh, as we look back at the cost of what that entailed keeping them at home. But Emily Oster says this, and I wanted to quote her. She said, given the amount of uncertainty, almost every position was taken on every topic. And on every topic, someone was eventually proved right and someone else was proved wrong. The people who got it right for whatever reason may want to gloat. Those who got it wrong for whatever reason may feel defensive and retrench into a position that doesn't accord with the facts. All of this gloating and defensiveness continues to gobble up a lot of social energy and to drive the culture wars, especially on the Internet. These discussions are heated, unpleasant, and ultimately unproductive. We have to put these fights aside and declare a pandemic amnesty. Now, Dr. John Anazu shared how he doubled down and last week wrote an essay with regards to Emily Oster's article. And this past week, he got a lot of comments back, comments, DMs, emails. And he shared, and I went back and looked at his article, and these were some of the responses to his essay. No forgiveness, never. I'll never forget or forgive. Heck no, we will never forgive. We will never forget. And I'm going to, you know, edit some of this out. Your essay is nothing but self-serving Bible study. And for what it's worth, speak for yourself. Some of us have no COVID missteps to apologize for. Not all of us have made pandemic mistakes. And the worst one of all, forget you. And the word was not forget. You and everyone else who ruin people's lives should get the worst kind of cancer. Eat blank and die. Now, usually when he writes his articles, Dr. John Anazu says most of the comments, he's able to just let it bounce and slide off of him. But this week he shared how it was actually really hard to read some of these things. And I feel like as we think about forgiveness here in the story that Jesus shares, we are in a cultural climate where forgiveness is not seen. We are doubling down and retrenching ourselves in whatever positions we have. Relationally, politically, socially, in our different opinions, and we see the other as the enemy, not worth forgiving. But in a church where the gospel is what we believe, I think one of the most countercultural, transformative ethics that Jesus taught us was forgiveness. Not only taught us, but showed us and lived out. And in a watching world where the church is actually fractured, we have lost our witness to be a transformative countercultural society, and institution. So what would it look like for us to be a people of forgiveness relationally as an institution that is marked by forgiveness so that when the world looks at us, that they would see something so drastically different that is beautiful. And it is. Forgiveness is so beautiful and yet so difficult. And that's what I want to look at here briefly as we look at the story that Jesus tells. But before we look at the story, the story is prompted by a very sympathetic question that Peter asks. Peter asks this in verse 21, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven, or as some translation might say, 77 times. Now, I say it's a sympathetic question because Peter's question is our question. As we go into this story, what I want us to think about is where and who are those people in your lives that have offended you, grieved you, has hurt you, sinned against you, we all have people that have continuously and perpetually sinned against us and done us harm. It could be little things. It could be big things. But even as I reflect on this question, I think about my children, children that I constantly live with, And as a parent, being able to sometimes unhealthily exercise my authority and pretend that I have everything right and I am without sin. And every time they make a mistake, how many times, Jesus, do I need to forgive them? When are they going to get it through their thick skull head that you need to put away your dishes or you need to clean up? When does that end, Jesus? It could be something as trite but annoying as that. Or it could be much deeper. No, and usually it is the people that you love the most that hurt you the most. where you sense their betrayal. And, G- and Peter asked this question in the context of broken relationships. Right before this question, Jesus is talking about reconciliation, about broken relationships. And so Peter rightly asked, well, if they keep breaking and sinning against me, Well, yeah, reconciliation, but how many times do I need to forgive them to seek reconciliation? And so Peter's thinking, man, I'm a good dude, Jesus. You're going to be proud seven times. And the reason he's thinking that is because in Jewish customs, the rabbis would say three times is enough. Three times, three strikes, and you're out. So Peter, right, going, Jesus, I got you. You're going to praise me. How about seven times? And she's probably shaking his head going, not seven times, 70 times seven. What's the point of Jesus? What's Jesus getting at? He's saying it's not 490 times. It's not 77 times, whatever your translation is. It's the fact that you do not count how many times you forgive that person that continuously hurts you and sins against you. It's 70 times seven. It's unlimited we continue to forgive those that hurt us and sin against us. Your parents, for some of our children, our students here, could be your coworker, could be your friends at school, where it hurts. Yet Jesus' challenge to us is that if we are marked by forgiveness, it is 70 times 7, always and forever. So he tells a story to explain what he means by that. And that's what I want us to look at here. It's this shocking story that he gives to us. And it would have shocked the disciples. And hopefully it will communicate for us the shock value, but also the countercultural ethic of Jesus when it comes to forgiveness. He shares a story of a king. Now king, the king has these debts that need to be accounted for. So he's sending in these servants who owe him the debts. And so one by one, they come in and this one servant comes in and he owes 10,000 talents. Do you know what 10,000 talents is? $5 billion. $5 billion, more than the Powerball that maybe some of you played this past week. $2 billion is nothing compared to $5 billion. I mean, a billion we can't even understand. But this man owed $5 billion, about 200,000 years of wages. The point of Jesus giving this story is that it is unpayable, impossible to pay. And yet this man owes this king, his master, $5 billion. And so what does this servant do? He falls on his knees, begging and pleading to the king. And he says, have patience with me and I will pay you. Now, here's the thing. Either this dude is a total fool because he knows how much he owes. How can he ask the king for patience and think that he can ever pay him back $5 billion? That could never happen in his lifetime. Or he thinks the king is a fool. That he doesn't know what's going on. And that he could fool the king into thinking that he would show mercy. And what does the king do? He doesn't grant him what he, he asked. Not patience, not time to pay back, but rather he absolves the payment of debt. He forgives him. He says, I relinquish your debt, you are free to go. The point of this aspect of why Jesus tells the story is because the king is our God who forgives us an impossible debt that we owe him. This is what we sing about, that our Lord is our salvation. Glory be to God. Glory be to Jesus. Glory be to God the Spirit. Why? Because this is how great our salvation is. When we owe him more than we could ever pay back, Jesus, God wipes it clean. But you see, that debt doesn't just disappear, does it? If I break something, if I came over to your home and broke something in your home and you say you don't have to pay me back, it's not like that debt or that, that lamp that's broken disappears. No, you as the one who has forgiven that person ab- absorbs that debt. You're either buying a new lamp or you've lost the $20 that it costs for that lamp. And here what Jesus, God is saying is, I as king, as father, I am absorbing that debt and taking it upon myself. This five million billion debt that you can never pay back, I am taking that. It is absolutely costly. And it was so costly that it took, what? God to become man. To take on flesh and die for our debts that we can never pay back. That is the grace of our Savior. That is the grace of our God that says, when you cannot even pay back the debt that is impossible to pay back, I will take that on myself. Though it is absolutely costly, I will absorb it. This is how great our salvation is. But it also reminds us that it is something that we can never do to pay back. In our culture, if you're really honest with yourself, whether you are a believer, or you are other than Christian, we are heaping condemnation and guilt and shame upon ourselves every single day. We feel the pressure to be on the right side of history. We feel the pressure to be able to say things exactly as we should so that the world and society and culture does not condemn us. And we, we carry this heavy weight Trying to absolve ourselves of our guilt and the debt that we owe, the way we treat our spouses, the way we treat our significant others, our friends, the the things we dream up of how we want to revenge others. We try to absolve, but there's nothing in this world that we can ever do to repay and find ourselves guilt-free and conscience-free. The only thing that can happen is if the offended absolves it and forgives you. And that is the gospel story. That is our salvation. And we need first, before we ever talk about forgiveness, is to be able to understand the gravity and the weight and the beauty and the wonder of what God has done for you and for me. That's where it first begins. We have been forgiven an unpayable debt. That is the grace and mercy of our Savior. But what does this servant do? Is that the end of the story? This servant, then, as he's set free to go back, he finds and runs into one of his fellow servants. And guess how much this servant owes him that's been forgiven? He owes him a hundred denarii. A hundred denarii, do you know what that comes out to? About four months' wage. Now, that's tiny compared to what he was owed and forgiven of. Four months' wage versus five billion, 200,000 years' wage. <clears throat> Small, incomparable to what he was owed, but still costly, right? It's still something that is worth something. Like I cannot go on without living off of uh, not being paid a salary of four months' wage. It's substantial, but it's nothing compared to what he was owed, or what he owed. (coughs) Excuse me. And what does this servant do that was forgiven? He doesn't forgive his fellow servant. He literally chokes him. (laughs) He starts choking him. And this servant that owed 100 denarii, Drops to his knees. Sound familiar? And he pleads with his fellow servant, have patience with me and I will pay you. Sound familiar? It's the exact action and words that this servant received (coughs) that this man also does as well. It should have been an easy sort of solution to say, oh my goodness, this is exactly what he did for me or this is exactly what I did and I was forgiven. This is what this brother is doing. I should forgive him. But what does he do? He throws him into prison. He throws him into prison and once the king hears about this, he calls him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you, And in danger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. You see, the ethics for why we are called to forgive others who have offended us, who have sinned against us, who have grieved us, is because of what God has done for us. We are able to forgive those who have sinned against us because of the overwhelming love and mercy that God has shown you and me. And when we fail to do that, Guess what? You fail to understand the gravity of God's unconditional love for me and for yourselves. Do you understand the weightiness and the beauty of what God has done so that we can forgive others? Yes, it is costly. Four months wage is not nothing. You are calling, you are called to voluntarily Suffer. For the sake of forgiveness in what God has done and shown in his favor for us. That's what we are called to. This voluntary, voluntary suffering. But that's what we, God has done for us and we are now called to do for others. This is the beauty. To be able to relinquish our rights. And to be able to show love and mercy and forgiveness to another. This is the ethics of the gospel. When the world's ethics and currency is that you get what you deserve, God says no, because you have not gotten what you deserve, you can now show mercy to others. I was reminded of the power of forgiveness or the lack of power of forgiveness in my own life recently. I was together with some friends in LA, some friends that I'd grown up together since my childhood. And there was a sin done against me many years ago that I thought I had forgiven this brother for. But we, had, we started talking, and as we talked, I just like, whoosh, it was just like something came over me. And I just started spewing out so much hatred for this former friend, the things that he had not done, that he needed to do. <laughs> My buddies were like, dude, tell me how you really feel. And what I realized in that moment was that because I had failed to forgive that brother, I was imprisoned in my heart. Nelson Mandela said it this way he said, Resentment is like drinking poison, hoping that your enemy will die. When we fail to forgive others, we are drinking the poison, thinking that that person would die and deserve the revenge that we have plotted. And that's what happened to this man, right? This servant. What does a king do? He throws him into prison because he has failed to show forgiveness to another. When we lack forgiveness for others, we are imprisoned in our heart and we do not experience the freedom that God has created us to experience when we are able to forgive others because of what God has done for us. You see, it's when we come to a place of what Jesus has done for you and for me. That was so costly. It frees us to love and show mercy to others because we are now secure in the love and mercy and identity that God offers you and me. That's where freedom comes. But unless we do that, we are imprisoned in our hearts. Now, I want to nuance a little bit of what this looks like because some of us here it's not just a friend that says something nasty a coworker that you know might be talking behind your back some some things that might have been said about politics or social issues but some of us have really experienced real deep hurt and pain that when you hear a sermon on forgiveness your heart actually gets hardened because it's like you don't understand what this person has done Two things I want to just nuance as we think about forgiveness is first, we need wisdom. Scripture always talks about how we need to be shrewd about sinful patterns of what people do to us. And in wisdom, you can actually forgive somebody but still put out a restraining order against them. In wisdom, we can, set, we can forgive others and still have boundaries set so that though you reconciliation, restoration might not be immediate, boundaries can be set so that you can actually still pursue reconciliation and restoration in that relationship. Remember when we went through the second Sam- or Samuel series last year? Remember King Saul was trying to kill David. And so David was in the wilderness for many years. Now there was an opportune time where David actually could have killed the man that was trying to kill him. And you can argue rightfully so. But David doesn't. He cuts off a little garment of the king's robe. And the next morning, he's like, Yo, Saul, look, I got this garment of yours. I could have killed you, but I didn't. And Saul shows repentance, he shows remorse and he grieves. But what does David do? Does he go back into the king's horde and, and become best friends with King Saul? No, in wisdom, he actually stays out in the wilderness. He's practicing wisdom and he's shrewd so that we might be able to guard ourselves for the long game. Reconciliation Forgiveness does not always mean reconciliation and restoration immediately. There are situations where you have been tremendously hurt, and there is danger and safety. So wisdom is absolutely needed, but I think the other thing is forgiveness is not always justice. Forgiveness is not always justice. When justice is available, you can forgive and seek justice. I think this is one of the areas that the church has failed miserably at, right? Over the last five years, longer, but especially in the last five years, we've seen how the church has failed at this with abuse of all sorts. What has the church done? Well, the offender has forgiven or repented to the abuser. So God forgives and we can move on. No. Justice when it is available. Yes, there should be repentance. There needs to be a discipleship and a restoration that can take time. But justice also calls us to use the state and have our civic duties call the police so that there might be justice when it is available. Why? So that there is healing restitution, restoration, that justice offers. So when we talk about forgiveness, yes, we are called to forgive. And for some of us, it might be hard. It might be so difficult to even speak a person's name, to think about that person. But as we understand the gravity and the beauty of what God has done for us, What does that look like to move with courage and strength towards forgiveness, albeit difficult, albeit costly, to people who would be so enamored by what God has done for us that we can slowly begin to move towards forgiveness for others. We're able to do that even when it's difficult because forgiveness is rooted in what God has done for us. It's His grace that empowers us to forgive. Forgiveness in what God has done for us is not just some motivation or some inspiration for us to hold on to. No, it is the power by which we are able to forgive. May that be our power this morning, even as we come to the table. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You that, Lord, You have taken our debt and paid it all once and for all. Nothing that we can do, nothing to earn, but Lord, through your death and sa- sacrifice on the cross, we can live in freedom and we can live as people who can forgive others, albeit difficult and costly. Lord, I pray that we would be so enveloped in the grace of our lo- and the love of our God that Lord, we as a community would be marked by forgiveness. So help us to do that. Holy Spirit, do that even as we come to the table. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.